Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Wow, man, you ever heard a song that was just right where you're at in life? Man, like, I mean, that song was written and, and just sung today, especially for me. I don't know, man, you ever, like, have stuff going on in your life when you're at church? You ever had any drama break out while you're at church? Anybody? Ever that happen? Ever get into an argument with your wife at church? Okay, well, I'm glad I could be the first. And let y'all know it happens. No, I, I'm not arguing with my bride, but, man, I got stuff going on in my life, and I just need God, amen? I'm just at a place, man, where I just, I feel like I need God, like, all the time, Sarah. Like, I don't know. It's just, I, I don't know. I, but I'm so thankful that you are here today, and it is, man, indeed, a, a Father's Day that we all can try to find some reason to rejoice in. Uh, you know that this is really a special day when children express their their really their love in response to a command in Scripture that says to honor your father. Now, you may not have been with us very long, and I just want you to know that, man, today is the eighth day of a series of Sundays that we've been preaching through a series called Foundations, and it's called Loving God and Loving Others, and it's really based on this commandment of of Jesus When he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it is to love your neighbor as yourself. So we've been asking and answering the question, well, then how do we really love God and one another? And we believe that we do that through meeting these one another's in Scripture. These We're calling them relational needs. So we love each other by meeting the need of approval because we are told to build up one another. We love God and love others by meeting the need of attention, because the Scripture says to care for one another. By meeting the need of appreciation, the Scripture says to give thanks and appreciate one another. We meet the need of acceptance, because the Scripture tells us to accept others as Christ has accepted us. We love and, and, and really love God and love people by meeting the need of comfort. Because the scripture says to comfort one another with the comfort which you have received from God, that you'll be able to comfort others. We talked a little bit about meeting the need of security. The Bible talks about living in harmony with one another, providing safe places. And then we also talked about meeting the need of encouragement, and that's building up and encouraging one another. Today, as you can imagine, we'll be on yet another one of those relational needs. Today, in light of it being Father's Day, we are going to talk about the relational need of respect. So we're going to start, and I know that many of you may not be comforted to know that I'm topically preaching, and 99% of the time I'm an expositor, and we just take a book of the Bible and go through it verse by verse, but for this series, we're kind of looking at this topic from a 30,000-foot view And then we kind of get down to about 10,000 feet, and then we do about 5,000 feet, and then we get on the ground with heavy application of these needs. We'll start today in Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be in a couple of places today, but we'll be in Romans chapter 12. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, you can find that, and it'll be on the screen here behind me. 
So Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. I'll give you just a moment to turn there. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. The Bible says that love must be free of what, church? Hypocrisy. We could probably go home right there. Then it's interesting. He says, detest what is evil, but cling to what is good. Here, here it comes. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. So let's take this verse that we're kind of have these verses, but really one in particular. Let's put it in its context. Because you know that context determines the meaning of a text. Context, what we would say in hermeneutics or the study of the Bible, proper understanding that context is king. I could tell you about how at the Southern Baptist Convention, some people that we had to disfellowship took some verses out of context. Therefore, it causes major issues, but I won't. Let's place this text in its context. So Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to set forth the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the church at Rome. And he says that the gospel is the power of God. It's for Jews and Gentiles. He goes on to say it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone that we've been redeemed. Our, our, our sin has been paid for freely by God's grace. And then in Romans chapter 12, after all this theological just kind of underpinning, he, he says, now let's move towards some application of what that theology means. So in Romans chapter 12, he begins a very practical section on how the gospel works in our relationships. So maybe today, maybe really new to you to know, but the gospel has the power not only to save our souls from punishment and judgment, but the gospel has the power to help us have healthy relationships. Did you know that? The gospel is not just about our salvation from sin. It's about our sanctification with each other. And so let's look a little closer then at Romans chapter 12 particularly, and we'll dive into verse 10 in just a moment. But Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the gospel gives, uh, says that we're supposed to give our lives as a living sacrifice. Verse 2, it says that we're called to be transformed by this gospel. In verse 3, that the gospel calls us to humility, kind of what like Jacob preached on last week, not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. In verses 4 through 8, it calls us to relationships in the church body. And then in verse 9, it calls us to love one another with sincerity and holiness and his family. But then in verse 10, did you notice verse 10? He says there to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, but give preference to one another in honor. And then in verse 12, he calls us to be steadfast in prayer and to persevere through difficulty. In verse 13, he tells us to practice hospitality. So now we've seen a 30,000-foot view. Let's zoom in a little closer on verse 10. The Bible says there in verse 10, he says this. He says, to give preference to one another in honor. Another version of the Bible says, to outdo one another in showing honor. Another version says, honor one another above yourselves. What does that word honor mean? 
It means to show respect. It means to show value. It means to show worth. It means to show that you know that somebody has a price to them that's unestimable. But what I want you to see and notice is that that admonition points out the relational need of respecting others. That when we give preference to one another in honor, that's called respect. Consider how different, though, that is from the culture around us, because our culture, specifically Western American culture, is is really self-centered when you think about it. With the the iPhone and selfies, we took on a whole nother idea of being self-centered. We're consumed with ourselves now. From TikTok to Instagram to whatever, it's all about somebody just promoting themselves. We're deeply self-centered. We're self-consumed. It's, it's just all about us. We're self-promoting. Our culture's constantly doing this. In other words, the world has the mindset of put yourself before others. Make sure you take out uh, everything you need to for yourself first, and then if there's any leftover, we'll deal with other people. But the scripture says exactly the opposite. What is true of our culture, we must all understand that we have a need of respect regardless of our culture. So the need for respect, let me just kind of define it for you. This, what the scripture is talking about, giving preference to one another in honor. Here's what this really means. The need of respect is met by valuing each other highly. It means that when, when I enter into your life, Sam, and, and I, I'm, I'm in conversation with you, that I understand that you are an image bearer of God, and therefore you have tremendous value. No matter what you've done or what you haven't done, that you have value, and I need to acknowledge that by the way I talk to you, by the way I treat you. That I respect others highly, that I treat each other as the most important person in the room. Can you imagine how that would transform our culture if we just treated everybody else as more important than we are when we're in a room. It's honoring one another with our words and our actions. It's asking for others' opinions and then seriously considering them. I want to help you identify right now real quickly if you may have a high need of respect. A lot of people in our culture think it's yes ma'am and no ma'am, and it is that, but it's so much more deep than that. You may have a high need of respect in the room today is if before someone makes an important decision that will impact you, they take time to discuss it with you. You may feel respected when your ideas and opinions are given attention. You're asked, hey, where would you like to go? What would you like to do? How would you like to do this? You feel respected when you're talking with somebody and they look you in the eyes and they're not distracted by the things around them. When somebody shakes your hand, they actually shake your hand and don't try to give you a fish. You had a fishy handshake? You feel respected when your property, when your preferences, when your privacy is considered as important. For some of you, you may feel respected when people actually show up on time. Because your time matters. And for them to be late, it's a sign of disrespect. You may feel respected when all prejudices are set aside, when it's, whether it's your race, your ethnicity, your gender, your socioeconomic standing, no matter what it is, but when people consider you just as important, no matter where we all stand, you feel respected. See, Jesus knew people had a need of respect. 
And Jesus met people's individual need for respect in his earthly ministry because Jesus ignored the social prejudices of his day when he showed respect to even tax collectors. Jesus showed respect to Samaritans. Of all people, he would show respect and treat them with dignity. The poor, the lepers, and especially women. Jesus respected the value of women. He treated all people as they had infinite value, regardless of their background, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their social standing. Furthermore, God considered all of us to be of such great worth that he would give his only begotten son on a cross that you and I might know his forgiveness. That's deep respect. And then Jesus shows us incredible respect for allowing us the choice to whether we can choose to follow him or not gives preference and allows us to make decisions. So now let's take that text and let's apply it, apply it broadly to our lives. But with this kind of underpinning, kind of guiding our discussion, Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 says something incredibly important. It says honor. Did y'all, did y'all catch that word? Honor your father and your mother, and this is the only commandment with a great promise attached to it. Honor your mother, your father and your mother so that your days may be prolonged on the land which the Lord your God gives you. I had a professor one time say it like this. He said, you know, my daddy used to tell me that the reason God says that if you honor your father that your days may be prolonged is because if you ever dishonored my father, you wouldn't live to see another day. <laughs> I'm not so sure that's the interpretation I'm going for, but I just thought I'd offer it. But do you know it's repeated again over in Ephesians chapter 6? So when you see something repeated in both texts, you know that this is how God still feels about it. In Ephesians 6, verses 2 and 3, it says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, like I told you, so that it may turn out well for you and that you may live long on the earth. So then I guess the question that all of us are asking is, is and I know this because you've been in church most of your life. Most of you kind of have heard that kind of before. The question is not what does that mean? The question is how do we do that? I think that's what we're trying to get at. So how do we really do those verses? How do we give preference? How do we honor our father and our mother? How do we really work this out? I think it kind of rolls around three big pictures today, three big ideas. And here's the first one. Respect can be prominently given to the father. Notice it's capital F, father. The Lord gave us a command in Deuteronomy and Matthew 22, again, to love the Lord with all of our heart. So before we can love others, we must first be loved by and then love the Father. Now, it's interesting, and I'm going to tie something to you together. You may not know where I'm going for a moment, but, but I'll bring it back together. A part of loving the Lord is fearing the Lord. Okay, and so, so out, throughout the Old Testament, we read this passage, and they had the fear of the Lord. My adult Bible study teacher this morning said, man, we don't really have that much anymore in our culture. Do y'all believe that we fear the Lord much in our culture anymore? If we feared the Lord, we wouldn't be doing half the stuff we're doing. Amen? Right? I mean, you know. But a pastor friend of mine, his name is Michael Lewis, he said that this phrase, fearing the Lord, can simply be stated to mean this, to practice the presence of God in your daily life. 
practicing the presence of God. I mean, like God is in my life right now. That should change the way I think about my life. It's living with a reverence and an awareness of God. It's not this dread as a is it like he's going to just zap me? But it's really an awe and amazement and understanding that he's holy and he wants me to be holy. But Jesus taught a revolutionary concept in the Sermon on the Mount that while we're to fear God, while we're to have this healthy reverence for God, we have to understand that on the back side of that is something that we can really fear him even more because we can trust him. We can trust God, and so, so then who is this God that we're to fear and trust and, and love? Well, he's described as a father in the Scripture. Over in Matthew chapter 6, you don't have to turn there with me, but Jesus tells us that, that a relationship with this God is possible, that we can have a relationship with this God. In Matthew 6, verse 9, Jesus taught us to pray. He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But then in verse 6, he says, the Father who sees you in secret in your prayer desires to reward you openly. That's the kind of father he is. In verse 8 of Matthew chapter 6, it says, he's the father who knows what you need before you even ask him. I think that's where Justin was at this morning, his prayer. Lord, I'm, I'm so amazed you even know what I'm going to ask before I pray it. And then verses 9 through 13 in Matthew 6, he's a father with an amazing name. He has an unlimited kingdom. He has a sovereign will. He has a limitless supply to meet our needs. He's merciful. He's forgiving. And he offers protection for his children. And then in verse 26 and following in Matthew chapter 6, he is a father who cares for and is lovingly involved in the needs of providing clothing, food, and shelter in our daily lives. Matthew 5, verse 48, though, the Bible says this. It says, therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is what? Say it. Perfect. Perfect describes something that is complete. It's whole. It's without blemish. It can also refer to someone who is blameless or has deep integrity. In other words, this means our Father in heaven is a complete Father in every way in contrast to the incomplete and imperfect filled with blame fathers on earth. So can I encourage you that no matter what kind of father you've had on earth, as it's been said earlier, your heavenly Father is perfect. He's perfect in love, and he's perfect in his acceptance of you. He's perfect in his attention, his care, his comfort, his encouragement, his security to you. But, but I think it's important right now that we stop and just acknowledge readily this fact. Your view of your heavenly father has directly been affected by what's happened with your earthly father. There's a lot to unpack there. And I just want you to know that your earthly father may have given you a deep misrepresentation of what your heavenly father is like. Let's go to the word to find out what he's like, not go to what our experience was. See, for some, the visualization of father is an always smiling, ready to embrace you, tender man who instantly promotes feelings of joy and acceptance. Some of you have that when you think of the word father. Others remember the massive outstretched hand <laughs> that seemed to 
pull a never-ending supply of just candy from his trouser pockets. That's what you think of when you thought of dad. There's some here who, when you hear the word father, it conjures up images of a scowling, rumpled brow and a disappointed frown that seemed to cut to the heart of who you were and left you deeply longing for his approval. Finally, there's some of you that may simply draw a blank when you try to visualize a father. Just like if we were to go to HEB and get some of that college-ruled paper, just a fresh pack of that college-ruled paper, and just flip through it, your memories of what a dad is are just as blank as the pages of that paper. The landscape of your life is just full of empty memories. There were no calls, there were no visits, there were no talks, no fun times, no traditions passed on, nothing when you think of the word Father. Yet, the truth of the Bible and the gospel is this, that no matter what kind of an imperfect father you've had on earth, you can be adopted by your heavenly Father today. And everything will change. You can be fully forgiven of all your sin. You can be accepted unconditionally by his great love into his family and to be cared for by him because that's who your heavenly father really is. So respect starts, first of all, in our hearts by honoring our heavenly father. That's where this whole thing starts. There's no way I can honor anyone else properly until I first prominently given the, the honor that's due to my heavenly father. I want us to meditate just for a moment on who this kind of God is in Isaiah 30, verse 18. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, it gives us a picture of this father, and I want us to simply just meditate. I just want us to think about this. Like, like let this passage of Scripture just kind of marinate in your soul for a few moments. And then after you're done marinating, I'm going to read it and I'm going to let you marinate. Then I just want you to go before your heavenly father just for a few moments and just honor him today on Father's Day. Let's just start there. So Isaiah 30, 18, it says, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. The only way, and please, I am not trying to be disrespectful, but I'm telling you the only way that that word longs in the Hebrew, the only way that I can let you know what that word means to describe what my dog does with his ball or her ball. My dog longs for that ball all day long. Wants nothing else but that ball. Just throw the ball, throw the ball, get the ball, do the ball. It's just all about the ball. And in Hebrew, that word longs is that same word. He has such a deep desire in him that all he can really think about is being gracious to you. That's who God is. He's longing to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. He's not in the, in the halls waiting to judge you. The Bible says he's waiting He's waiting to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. And now how blessed are those now who, in light of who he is, long for him the way he longs for us. Would you do that right now? Would you just meditate on that and then just offer a prayer? Right now, here in the room, in your seat, right there, just offer a prayer saying, Father, thank you. I respect you. I honor you. Would you do that now? Hmm. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, oh God, for adopting me. Thank you for taking me into your family. I didn't know what a dad was until I met you. Thank you. Thank you, God. You rescued me. You're so kind to me. So as we think about this today, first of all, I want you to see that respect can be prominently given to the Father. Let's kind of flip to something else real quickly. Number two, that's respect can be personally gained by fathers. Respect can be personally gained by fathers. I think all of us have a God-given desire to honor fathers in our lives. I think that's kind of built in. If you're like me, I think all of us have longed for a father figure to set an example for us, to give us wisdom, to lead us, to protect us, to provide for us, to pass on what it really means to be a man. Yet sadly, uh, one out of every three American children will live in a home where their biological father is not present. Unfortunately, many sons and daughters have never received the blessing of a father. 24 million children live without fathers today. This is not an indictment. I'm just giving some information because I've got hope. But many dads have simply failed to step up to the plate and be the fathers that God's hardwired you to be. Some have missed the mark simply because of selfish choices. Some because they followed in the steps of their own fathers. But I want to show you a verse that may impact your life like it has mine. Proverbs 17.6 says this. Grandchildren are the crown of the old. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Grandchildren are just cool. (laughs) But I want you to read the second part of this verse. And the glory of sons is their father. One commentator said about that verse, he said, behind this apparently innocuous proverb is a profound assertion of the psychological interdependence of the generations. Elders derive a sense of pride from their descendants, and children get their self-worth from their parents. On the other hand, one generation can cause shame and a sense of worthlessness in another. So true. Did you notice there that the text said, the glory of children, the glory of sons? In the Hebrew, the word glory speaks of pride, beauty, splendor, and fame, honor, ornament, decoration, beauty. It's it's multifaceted in its meaning. It speaks of the reason for cheerful boasting and confidence. For a child, what is the reason for cheerful boasting and confidence What is the reason of a child to have glory, to to be talking about pride and beauty, splendor, fame? What is it? The Bible says that it's their fathers. 
And this speaks of godly fathers who are devoted to loving the Lord with all their heart and then living the law of God from their heart. Now, this is indeed a challenge to me as a father. If you've ever read my biography or something that's on the website or you just read anything about me because you're curious, a lot of people do that, by the way, when they're finding our church. One of the things I try to make specifically clear is, is I desire to be a father whom my daughters can take cheerful confidence and boastfully have pride about. I've often said that I want to be a man of one Lord, one book, and one woman. I want to love one Lord. I want to live out of one book, and I want to faithfully love one woman well. I want to be a father who my children know that I adore that woman sitting right there. I want to be a dad who's present in my children's life. I want to be a father who's patient, loving, kind, and devoted to the Lord. A father who desires to bring security to my family. And see, you and I have to gain that kind of respect in our children's lives. Here's just a couple of thoughts about that. First of all, if you want to be that kind of dad, man, be involved in their lives. Just be involved. You see, your children need more than your money. I ain't got none, so it ain't no problem. They need your attention. Your children will flourish when you focus on them and not your job and not everything else. And listen, this means more than just showing up at their games. Well, they're appreciative. They want to know, did you watch? (laughs) Children need your heart knitted to theirs as they make choices and as they hammer out their character. They need you to know what's going on in their lives. No matter how many times they tell you they don't want you to know, they really do want to know. They need you to help them think about the clothing they wear, the the type of person that they date, and the peer pressure that's just encompassing them everywhere they go. They need you to be involved in their lives. And when you're involved in their lives, you gain their respect. Secondly, be emotionally supportive in their lives. I probably could say this because I have seven daughters. I live, if you don't know where I live, I'm going to tell you today, you find Lake Estrogen and my house is on the bank. I'm telling you, it's right there. Come see me sometime. But you've got to be emotionally supportive in their lives. I mean, how often, and I'm not, this is not a question to make you feel bad, it's a question to make you think. But how often do you tell your children that you love them? But more importantly, how often do you tell your children that you forgive them? Your kids should hear those two words as often, so often that they have no idea how many times you've said it. Another way to give your children emotional support is using the power of the printed word. Letters and notes are tangible reminders to your children that you love them and care for them. Young children, trust me on this, especially would treasure your handwritten notes of affection. Be willing to listen to them when they're emotionally distraught. Cry with them, comfort them, grieve them, validate their emotions. Don't just tell them they shouldn't have those emotions. Validate them and work through it with them. Just Be in that moment emotionally with them and and fill their emotional tank with your care and your love. And, And when you do that, you become worthy of their respect. 
There's a passage that's guided my life as a parent, and this is something that I prayfully just desire for my daughters, and, and I thought maybe you could benefit from it. Psalm 128, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. It starts there, remember? You've got to fear the Lord and love him and love his word who walks in his ways. And when you eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, you will be happy and it will go well for you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. And your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for so shall a man who fears the Lord be blessed. The Lord bless you from Zion and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Can I be honest with you? That's a question. Well, you didn't expect me to lie to you, did you? <laughs> I am not a perfect father. And it's easy for people to think that because I'm a pastor, I've got this all figured out. Can I tell you that I fell horribly at this? Many times I failed to meet my daughter's emotional and relational needs. I, I failed to, to meet my wife's needs. And I'm going to tell you, man, I've been doing this for a long time with kids, and I, I still feel inadequate as a dad. Do I have anybody in the room that, that just remotely feels that way? Thank you, guys. Man, let's form a club, you know? Inadequate Fathers Anonymous or something. If, a, if I could only be a good dad, you know? <laughs> uh, thanks, baby. I love you. <laughs> See, no matter how many times you failed like me, Jesus is my reset. See, Jesus changes everything about me. Because he not only forgave me of my sin, he continues to forgive me and, and gives me hope and, and helps me and, and speaks into me and builds into me. Jesus isn't interested in just changing my eternal destiny. He's interested in changing my ever-living life. So if you're a child of God, you have incredible promises to live by. He's made you for much more than just one generational faith. He's made you to impact other generations. And when we abandon our agendas and just follow Jesus, you and I can leave a legacy for our children and our children's children. But all we have to do when we don't get this right is just keep coming back to our Heavenly Father. Keep coming back to Jesus. And when your children see that you just keep going back to Jesus to get this thing right, you will gain their respect. So we, we looked at respect can be promptly given to the fathers. Respect can be gained by fathers. Thirdly, here's where you probably came for today. Respect can be practically given to fathers. Text says to honor your father. It's the command of scripture, and it requires faith to obey that. You need to know that. Because here's the, the thing that I know it's hard to respect an unrespectable father. It's going to require faith to obey that command. Pray to God honestly about any of the hurts and injuries that you've had with your father and experience your heavenly father's care and comfort for you. Express to your father then out of that saying, man, I've got this right with the Lord. He's healed me. Then you're free then to turn to your father who may have even caused that pain and offer some words to him that may give him life. Here's what I figured out in life. Most fathers do what they do because they never got something in life. And if you 
the Christ follower may be able to get it right with the Lord and experience his. You may be able to change your father's eternal destiny by simply just giving him something he never had. Let's remember that honoring fathers is close to the heart of God. Remember Exodus 20, 12, it says, honor your father and your mother, right? Remember that? His command is radical in age. Listen to me, where we're encouraged to look backwards, to blame our dads, to throw stones at our dads, and to find fault with our dad. See, instead, the Lord's heart, just like it is for you, he wants us to appreciate them and to esteem them as parents that have been created in his image who are going to fail and who need our forgiveness. So let me begin to wrap this up for a moment and tell you this. What are some practical ways to do this? This is not rocket science. And I promise you, you could have probably come up with something better than I did. But here's a shot. Spend time with your father on his agenda and not yours. That simply may mean calling him on a regular basis. It may mean... uh, It may mean watching football when you don't want to. (laughs) Hint, hint. That's to my kids. Spend time with your father on his agenda. What is your dad's agenda? What does he love to do? Simply do that with him. It's a way to honor him. Secondly, honor your father through handwritten letters. I know we live in an iPhone generation. That's why this means all the more. If you're like me, you quickly go through all the the mail to find the handwritten stuff. Because there's just something about a handwritten letter. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing a father would want more on Father's Day. I can almost guarantee you. He doesn't want your stuff. He wants your heart. He wants you to tell him in writing what you think of him. He wants to hear how much you love him. He wants you to express it in a way that he can store and treasure for years to come. Lastly, I stole this idea from a close friend of mine. I don't have a dad to do this with but I sure try to do it with other men. And that's honor your father by presenting a tribute. Listen closely, and I'll give you some details about maybe the way this is done. Maybe you just want to thank your dad or a father figure like I do by creating a video, a short video on your smartphone telling him how much you value and esteem him. So you just kind of sit down and you, for an experience, extended period of time, you just begin to think about all the things that this man means to you. The way you appreciate their little quirks, the way that they make you laugh, the way that they've provided for you, they've cared for you, they've showed love to you over the years, traits that you admire about them. Or are they like a hard worker? Does this man have a wonderful smile? Does he, he do things that just only he can do that makes you laugh, that you love his dad jokes? Hint, hint. The tribute doesn't have to be long. The only thing that really matters is that your dad can tell you're speaking from your heart. 
Then video yourself reading that tribute to your father. And then when you're finished, type it up and put it in a frame and give it to him. It'll change somebody's life, I just promise you. So, respect. Respect means to honor, show abundant, merited respect to, to somebody who's of great worth and value. And we have this vertical command to honor and respect, uh, respect our, our Father in heaven, but we also have this horizontal command to honor our earthly Father. So now you know this was coming. If you've been here during these eight weeks, you know what we're fixing to do. We're going to do it in the room. <laughs> so I wonder right now, can we move from just merely hearing the Word to actually doing the book? Let's just do the book right now. So if you're here today, and if your father is with you today, can I encourage you right now in just a few moments, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say, let's, let's come to the altar. That's your cue, but I encourage you to bring your dad to the altar. And I encourage you when you get down here to express one statement to him of honor. Tell, tell him something, dad, this is what I think about you. Dad, this is what you mean to me. And then would you just get down on your knees together, if you can, physically, and just pray over your dad. Beg God to just bless him and anoint him and give him divine favor. Pray heaven down on your dad. You're saying, my dad's not here. I mean physically, he's not in your presence, he's still alive. If your dad's not here with you today, then during this time, right now when other people are praying, I wonder if you could just take out your phone and send your dad a text or an email telling him something that the Lord has laid on your heart. Or that father-like figure. If your father has passed away, maybe today would be a great day to pray and thank God with gratitude for who your dad was. Let me say one last thing before I get you to move in action. Listen to me very carefully. I'm a counselor and, and I do a lot of counseling. And can I just tell you, this is something that I tell my counselees all the time. This helped me and maybe it'll help you. But if your dad has already passed away, doing that video tribute to him would still be meaningful in your life to just do it. It'll bring some healing to your heart and allow you to say some things to your dad you wished you could have said. It'd just be powerful. But right now, I wonder, would you be willing to bring your dad or a father-like figure right here to this altar or maybe just text or email your dad and that father-like figure in some way and just honor your father? Would you do that now? Would you come? Would you pray? Yeah, we love you today. Just want you to know that. You're our heroes. So I wonder if our band would kind of come. We're going to move into a time of invitation, but before we do, I'm scared right now about what I'm fixing to share uh, because I just don't know how this is going to go, but I'm just... I'm just telling you, um, when I was up here earlier, I came up here and you all noticed that I took out my notebook during the time, the time of prayer and I wrote down something. And that's because the Spirit of God has 
boy, this gets crazy. Y'all can stone me. I don't know, but I'm just telling you, God spoke to my heart and said, somebody in this room has to hear what you're fixing to say. Grayson, would you, can I borrow you for a second, buddy? Would you be willing to come up here for a moment? I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't have you speak. I won't have you do anything. I'm just going to ask you in just a moment to kind of do something with me and lock arms back to back with me, okay? I won't, I, won't, I won't do anything. I won't, okay, I won't embarrass you, buddy. Thank you for being willing to volunteer. You're, you're brave. I, I love you, buddy. I think there's somebody in the room today who needs to hear this, and this is this, that the reason your life is not the way that you thought it would turn out and the reason that you've turned to so many other things in, in life and you want to follow God and you, you want to do some of those things, but your heart is just full of bitterness, your heart is full of hurt, your heart is full of rage. And so this is, you're not living how you ever wanted to live, but you just can't get free from it. You just wish you could. And you're asking the question that Paul asked in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, wretched man that I am. And you know today that you are wretched. You know that the way that you're living is sinful. You know that you've sinned against God. That is not a question for you. You're saying, wretched man that I am, here's your question. Who will set me free from this body of death? That's what you're asking. So see, Paul in his Roman mind, what Paul would notice is, is this, he would, he would know that in that culture, that if you were to go out and kill somebody, you would go out and murder people, you go out and do these gracious, just these incredibly atrocious sins against the Roman government, what they would do is the Roman government would put your body, put your other elbow over here, I'm, I'm broad shouldered, bro. And they would say, to you, here's your punishment for your crimes against the Roman government. They would take a dead body, and I'm going to let Grayson be the dead body. And they would attach a dead body to you and make you walk around with that dead body until the disease and the infection so got in you that your body would begin to die just like that other man because the wages of sin against the Roman government was death. And so you're here today, man, and you feel it. You're like, man, with God right now. I'm like, I know I'm carrying around this body of death. I know that I have addictions. I know that I'm living a lifestyle. I know that I have things in my life. And I just feel like, man, I, all I do is just death, and I just can't get away from it. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That's your question this morning. And can I let you know there is an answer? Because Paul says in Romans he says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I'm here today to tell you, friends, with all that is inside of me, that if you won't help getting rid of that old man of death, the answer is to turn to Jesus. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin, thank you, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. 
And if you would just come to him and turn from your sin and say, today, I can't worry about the blame. I can't worry about the reasons why. I can't worry about all that. Today, all I know is, is that's where I'm at, and that something has to change. And you just would turn from your sin, and you would turn to Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, please have mercy on my soul. Please forgive me of all my sin. I believe that you died so that I wouldn't have to. That you were buried and that you were raised again. Thank you, sweetheart. You were raised again to give me eternal life. That Jesus Christ would come in and I'm telling you, you would feel as free as I do right now from not having to carry that guy around. Jesus will set you free. Would you stand with me today? I'm going to pray a prayer just very quickly. And if you need to receive the Lord Jesus, if you want that freedom, there'll be some people down here. Just come grab us by the hand. We'll talk to you about that. Others of you, you've got other things going on in your life. You need to pray. I don't know what the Lord may do in your heart today. But would you come? I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And you come. Father, please set free anyone today who needs your grace. And I pray it in Jesus' name.